So I'm sitting at work today, and a coworker of mine, good friend, runs in and says, hey, NASA's about to have a big announcement about shit beyond our, our solar system. And I was Is like, it just me? Or whenever they say that, I'm just like, aliens. Aliens. That's fucking it. I know I shouldn't, That's but I still just it. say aliens. So I immediately jump on Twitter, right, to see if I can get a live feed for this thing. And NASA's like, don't worry, it's not aliens. And I was like, fuck you, NASA. Okay. <laughs> But it was pretty cool. So NASA announced today that they have found seven Earth-like planets rotating around a star that they're calling Trappist, which, as producer Ross pointed out, is named after the telescope, not after monks, which is terribly disappointing. Even NASA makes mistakes. For, for the monks, mostly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, But anyways, it just reminded me that, like, uh, you know, look, sometimes we get depressed about all of the shit that's happening right in front of us. Uh, and sometimes it's easy to get lost in things, but the universe is fucking huge and awesome and constantly full of surprises. And I think we're really lucky, lucky to be a part of that as humans. So here's to the universe. Yeah. Hello and welcome to the Mix Six. I'm Caleb. I'm Spencer, and this is a podcast where we have six beers, uh, review them very quickly in a weird system that we've developed right on the spot, and then have six conversations that are almost completely unrelated to beer. Uh, and if you're here in episode nine, you're probably into that. Uh, I will say that this is not the original episode. Nine. Episode nine two point oh. Episode nine two point oh, and we're going to get into why later. This is Andrew Garfield episode nine. Yes, yes, uh-huh. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the original episode nine was like Spider Man three, Tobey Maguire. Right. Uh, but we'll get into the specifics of that later. But for right now, we need a rating system so we, we can get on with this thing. So what do you got, Spencer? So as you guys know by now, we rate all of our beers on a five point system. A one is the worst beer you've ever had or something you wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole or producer Ross's mouth, a five is a beer that... I'm right here. He's right here. <laughs> he sits next to me. Yeah. yeah, we're not even doing this over Skype. Nope. Yeah. Nope. It's really just... At his kitchen table. <laughs> a five is a beer that has changed your life, has totally put you in another planet. So mm-hmm. this week I decided, look, we've done a lot of the like really niche nerd stuff for our rating systems for quite some time, which is great because that's what we are. We're nerds. But I thought we're also drinkers. So our rating system this week is based on drinking games. Broing out. Broing out. Sun's out, going out. Bro. Okay. This, these are five drinking games that are awful, medium, or the best things that you could ever do. So are you ready for our ranking system? Yes. All right. Drum roll in my head. Okay. So a one. Some, move, some, some game, some beer that you absolutely don't want to touch again. The, the, the worst of the worst drinking games is the movie game. And the movie game for drinking is the game you sit around and you watch like a movie and someone says, hey, when a certain character says X, you should drink. All right? That's not a game, people. Yeah, it's not even a game. No, it's not a game. You I'm right RPGs, which a game could just be like, let's all pretend we're elves. Still not a game. That's right. Doesn't it's even not, meet that rhetoric. Do you know what that is? That's an excuse to get drunk and watch a movie. And I need neither of those things. I'll do both for funsies, okay? <laughs> uh, what, what I've learned from the movie game is if you really want to get drunk that badly, see a counselor, okay? So the movie game is a one. A two, still bad but not the worst, is Flip Cup. I fucking hate Flip Cup. I don't know if it's because I'm really bad at Flip Cup, but the idea that, like, I would slam a beer and then just, like, 
I look See, like... It's weird for me because it's a dexterity game. Right. And that seems to be up your alley. I've got great hand-eye coordination. Yeah. I want to say I would... That is one of my Boy Scout badges, hand-eye right. coordination. Yeah. But Flip Cup is not my jam. I, I feel like uh, there's that episode in Family Guy where Peter Griffin is trying to pick a dead frog up uh, using like two folders or two coasters or two magazines maybe. <laughs> yeah. And like he can't figure out... Or like in Talladega Nights... And that's Flip Cup for Right. You. Where Ricky Bobby can't figure out what to do with his hands. I can't figure out... Like I chug a beer and then I just like hit the cup. Like, well, it's going to land upright, right? Because that's how gravity works. <laughs> yeah. So flip cup is a two. A three, and this is your run-of-the-mill beer. It is your run-of-the-mill drinking game. Everyone's played it, and it's pretty standard. Circle of death. Okay? Sure. It's cognitive. Yeah. We all have different rules. Everybody, you know, everybody plays a jack differently. But for the most part, we all know the rules of circle of death, and we're all okay playing it. We're all okay drinking this mm-hmm. beer. A four, now we're getting into games that are kind of fun, right? This is a beer that's like, oh, ooh, I want to go get more of this. It hasn't changed my life, but I'm happy to do it again. Quarters. Pure dexterity game. Pure dexterity game. So now... You are really fucking up a table. I am... Yeah, you're really fucking up a table. <laughs> and full disclosure, I had not played Quarters as, an, as a human until we played Quarters at last... Uh, what was the last movie day? Was it a summer movie day that yeah. we did? Yeah. And Andrew... Sports Beck, movie day. Sports movie day. That's right. We really um, fucked up my table. We really fucked up your kitchen table. <laughs> Andrew Baswell, God love him, uh, came down from Oklahoma, and we got fucked up playing quarters. Yeah. So quarters is a four. A five, though, and this is the kind of beer that's going to move the, the, the markers for you. It's going to move the goalposts, is beer pong. Oh, see, I'm, I'm down with that because it's both cognitive and dexterous. That's right. That's right. There's an intense strategy going on. There's a lot of bias here because I'm going to tell you all right now. You might call it Beirut and you might be wrong. You you are wrong. <laughs> and I want to tell you, so I want to extend a challenge to any of our fine folks <laughs> listening right now. Caleb and I will fuck you up <laughs> in beer pong. Okay? We really should have gone pro. That was that was perhaps my biggest regret in life is that we did not one day try and That's get right. sponsored. That's right. I, I will tell you this about my college career pre-grad school, and I'm glad that none of those grad school directors knew this upon admitting me into things. <laughs> I had a 1.9 semester where I didn't get a, a, above a C in anything except in beer pong, <laughs> where I got an A+. plus. Yeah. I literally. I refer to it as the lost summer. That's right. Because I don't remember much of it, <laughs> except I was really good at beer pong with Spencer. Beer pong, beer pong is one of those mo- It's Super Mario World on the SNES for me. Oh, it no. is one of those moments which opens up to you a whole new world of possibility, as would a, a level five beer. I used to hate sports before I got really into beer pong. That's right. And I'd played football before, Spoke- but like beer pong taught me what sports could be yeah. the highs the lows <laughs> the epic you know stories that are built the agony upon, of defeat yes the exactly. of, uh, victory yes right. exactly yeah. i finally got it yeah caleb has never sounded more like an alcoholic than right there <laughs> i don't know what you're talking about so anyways that's our rating system for today so as we move throughout the show those are the numbers and by extension drinking games we'll be using to evaluate our beers and with that note we're going to grab some beers and we're going to jump into segment one on the other side Caleb, we're back. What are you drinking? I am drinking uh, from Bell's Brewery out of Michigan. Uh, a robust porter, and it is pretty robust. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of it. I would give it a circle of death. There's some strategy to it, mm. but it's largely dependent on your luck of the draw, who you're playing with. There, mm-hmm. There's a lot of you know factors in there. That's a three master. for you. That's a three. That's yeah. pretty good. I will say this. Bell's makes Hop Slam. 
which is one of the more sought after of the hoppy beers in the country. And I almost, they had them in singles today. I could have purchased one, but it was like $4 for a can of beer. I don't know that I would pay $4 for a can of anything, yeah. including $4. Yeah. And so I didn't buy it. But And a listener has asked us about Hop Slam. Yes, we can find it. Yes, we could have had it. No, we didn't. Okay? We'll That's get good. there. We, that, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. Anyways, uh, while Caleb drinks the robust porter by Bells, we're going to be talking about what has probably become, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking too aggressively or boldly here, but probably our favorite segment, which is dissecting our fun. Yeah. And it's our board game segment. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's because we play a lot of board games together and also because we're huge nerds. Yeah. So today in dissecting our fun, um, we're going to move away from the concept discussion and more towards the specific game discussion, which we, we vacillate between those two pretty wildly. This was a Brandy pick, wasn't it? I'd this, never heard of this before. Brandy came Brandy. home with this out of nowhere one day, and she just said, I don't know, we should try this. And genuinely uh, was a little bit scared because when Brandy says things like that, I'm like, I don't know. But you know what? We gave it a roll. And I would say that of all of the games that we've played as in-betweeners, fillers, we're too drunk to play anything difficult, this game has really kind of moved up the list for us in the past couple of weeks. The game is Dragonwood. Yeah. And I guess we probably should have led with that. Um, and Dragonwood is this really interesting, um, simple game. And I think its simplicity is the reason we wanted to talk about it today. Because of all the games that we've reviewed, I think the last game, uh, we've reviewed a lot of complex games. But for those of you who are on the fringe on games, Dragonwood is a really great introductory game. It's a good Trojan horse to get people who are non-gamers into gaming pretty easily. Because it's really based around simple dice rolling uh, and a little bit of math. And some of the games we review are far more intense and interesting. Than yeah. That. Interesting is the wrong word. Uh, complex than that. Well, I mean, it's not quite love letter, but it's also very condensed in that it is uh, It is a very interesting mechanic. It's, so yeah. the basic idea of Dragonwood, and there is an interesting dice mechanic in there. And I right. believe the dice are four-sided? Dice are four-sided, which is important to remember because, man, if you are banking on rolling a five or six, your strategy is fucked. Yeah, uh -huh. did that for like the first game and a half of playing it, but we were also really drunk. Yeah. Um, so counting was difficult. Uh, so you got a four-sided die on a six-sided die, uh, but they either have one, two, three, or four. And then uh, you've got this three-suited deck. Yep. So you'll have a color with an adventurer on it. Yep. Uh, that's always standard. Yep. Uh, that adventure will have a number next to them. Sure. And then there are how many? Five, six different adventurers? Uh, yeah, I don't totally remember. Can't remember exactly like that. But basically, you will be dropping monsters in this shared pool that you can beat or equipment that you can beat and then claim the equipment that makes monsters easier. So you've got that, and then you're talking about matching those in certain ways. Yeah. So the number of colors you have will originate a certain type of dice. Right. So if I have three reds, I could roll three die. If I That's have four, right. I could roll four. Yeah. Uh, I could also do matching numbers. So two twos, twos would be three die. Yeah. But I could also do two, three, four, five, any suit, any color. Right. Cards in a row. Uh, and that would be two, three, four, five would be uh, four dice because right. you've got that many cards in a row. And the number that you're using... Uh, determines how many dice you can roll on this four-sided thing, and the number that you add together determines the monsters you get, the victory points you get. Yeah. And uh, it's very interesting for being such a simple mechanic. It's yeah. so interesting, right? So what you're trying to do are kill these either various monsters or beasts that you encounter on your journey, or you're right, collect, collect equipment, and those things have hit points. 
and the hit points vary based on the type of attack you want to do. If you hear any coughing in the background, that's producer Ross with his tuberculosis. Yep. Mm-hmm. He's got we the send consumption. him down to the mines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to run the podcast engine. Yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Runs on steam. It's dangerous down there. Uh, thanks for your moral support there. I, yep. Yeah, you're welcome. I appreciate it. Yeah, right. We're gonna we're gonna Kickstarter the producer Ross consumption fund after this. <laughs> well, you have to use GoFundMe for that. <laughs> no. We're gonna GoFundMe the producer Ross consumption fund. Don't after assume this. I can't make profit off of your treatment because right. I can. Absolutely, uh, we will have stretch goals. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, the the monsters or beasts you're trying to fight have varying levels of hit points based on three different types of attack you can do. You can strike monsters. You can shriek at monsters, which I assume means just running up to them and yelling. Yeah. Or you can stomp on monsters, yes. monsters, which is like awesome. And it's kind of smart because the monsters that you can stomp on have more amenable hit points based on their size. So like you can stomp on fire ants. But it's harder to hit them with a sword. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So uh, what you'll do is you'll choose wh- how to activate either a strike or a stomp or a, sh- a shriek, which you've already identified, yeah. either by playing cards of the same color, cards of the same number, or cards that are consecutively ordered. Based on the number of cards you can play, you get to roll that many dice. The total of the dice, some total of the dice, allows you to access those hit points. Bingo, bango, you kill a monster. All right? And I may be wrong about this, but the mechanic seems so simple. I wonder if it's not, like, taken from another game or, like, a, a more complex game that I have not played yet. But I'm very interested in it. Like, the the whole idea of building your trick, basically, mm-hmm. and the number of cards in your trick determine the number of dice you roll, right. which is a basic probability mechanic. Yeah. So you sort of have this trick-taking thing, only you're taking one card, essentially, instead of a number of cards for the trick. But you're spending the trick to get the dice to take the card. Yeah. That that dice mediation between card, dice, card, uh, was really interesting. Yeah, I, I think that what, what what happens because the game is so simple, right? I mean, really what you're doing here is you're asking yourself, do I have enough cards to roll what I think is enough dice to reach a sum total that I think will defeat a monster? Which is a really easy equation. Because I've played probability games like that before, like Age of War, where you roll dice to take over t- Japanese castles. Right. But I found it very interesting to have this sort of strategic randomized element in the card. Yep. And then you have this sort of strategic probability element, and then you have this sort of pure strategy of taking the card. Like, that extra mediation of the card hand yep. is is very interesting. Yeah, because you could roll dice or you could just draw something, right? In an yes. attempt to build your deck mm-hmm. so that you could play more cards at once and, by extension, more dice. What I like about it, right, it really reduces the mechanic to something very simple. Do I want to take a card and continue to build my hand? such that I could roll more dice, because more dice, by extension, means higher probability of getting the number I need. Or do I want to go ahead and play? Is really a question between, do I want to, as a strategy, long-term strategy, because my goal is to accumulate victory points. Those victory points are listed on each of the, the, the creatures that you best. Yeah. Is it a better strategy to go after as many small creatures as possible and continue to accumulate as, as many one-off, two-off point, victory point opportunities throughout the whole game? Or is it better to save a little bit, stockpile, and go for bigger creatures? Because the game ends either after players have been through the draw deck twice Mm -hmm. or after players collectively at the table have defeated either the blue dragon and the orange dragon. And I really like the dragons as a catch-up mechanic because they're high-level monsters that give you a lot of victory points. But they're hard as fuck to kill. They're hard as fuck to kill. So, like, you could feasibly wait for those dragons to drop. And right. if you've been playing the long game, you just have a enormous fucking hand. Right. And you just drop big numbers on those dragons, and you end up winning 
fights back that everybody has like five fire ants and a wolf or right because that's yeah. the question right do you want to sit around and wait for that do you want to diminish the probability and and really maximize the guarantee right the risk i guess yeah you can sort of shoot the moon in it yeah. yeah a little bit or you know if i've been sitting around for five or six turns just pulling cards in an attempt to either get you know more orange cards or more twos or more consecutive cards all the while you have been playing a bunch of like one and two off dice rolls, right? You've been playing a bunch of two card combos to roll two dice and beat a bunch of things that required three hit points and you got one victory point out of them. Um, there really is an interesting strategy between shooting the moon or playing for fucking everything on the table mm-hmm. all the time. And so what I like about it is that it's quick, it's to the point. Um, a game can be over in probably 20 to 30 minutes, maybe even less if you're really flying through stuff. And you can be super drunk. You can be super drunk. And it, that is was kinda, a, it is a good late stage game. That's the underscore here, right? That like, so you we'll start, play three campaigns of Mice and Mystic and then right. as many games of Dragonwood until we pass out. Let's get plowed. But we're still wanting to play some games, but we certainly don't want to learn anything new. We certainly don't want anything with too many rules, and I don't want to do a ton of math. Yeah. Bingo, bingo, roll some dice, compare numbers. Dragonwood's it. Dragonwood is really the return of simplicity, certainly to this podcast, because we've talked about some complex, difficult games. But I also think in an age where games expand so rapidly, they attempt to dive deeper into niche Dragonwood is terribly simple and incredibly accessible for people who love games, people who are new to games, or people who are looking for that good in-between, I've just played something difficult, I'm about to play something else difficult, I want a nice middle game to take some of the pressure off, something kind of family or party-oriented. Two to four players, which is also pretty unique, not a lot of those games allow two players only. I really can't recommend Dragonwood enough in some ways for people who are trying to get into board games. And cheap as shit, like 11 bucks online, you know? Go buy that stuff is what Mm -hmm. I'm saying. I'm going to get a beer. Hey, Spence, what are you drinking? All right. So uh, a listener some some weeks ago suggested some Omegon beer to us, the three founders. And I was. That's actually in episode 10. Oh, so that's upcoming. Which is coming right. next. Yeah. So, Ooh, God. We're time traveling. That here. time traveling shit has gotten me. Anyways, in episode 10, what you're going to hear is someone suggest uh, Omegong's three founders, which we tried a little bit in advance during a game day. And, and we are going to be taken aback by it. Oh, my. That beer is phenomenal. Real good. What it did is it set me on a path to buying more Omegong beer. It was three philosophers, right? Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I've been drinking for a while. Yeah, three <laughs> philosophers. So it set me on a path to buying more Omegong beer. Omegong out of uh, Cooperstown, New York, and so today, or at least at this moment, I'm drinking the Rare Voss Amber Ale by Omegong. Uh, it's 6.5%, so, you know, it's a little bit getting after it, but it's not too bad. And also, I want to mention that ambers are not typically in my speed, uh, so I wanted to push my limits a little bit here. Oh my god, what's the rating? I just can't. I just, ah. Get to it. It's a four. Ew. It's a four. Right. It's a four. Right. Quarters. Okay. Yeah. It's yeah. quarters? I'm, I'm pretty into it, is what I'm saying. All right. It's a light drinker. I would drink a bunch more of them. It didn't make me see God, as it were. Yeah. Uh, so, you know what? That's reasonable. What and, are we talking and, about? And uh, hey, Cooperstown, thanks for getting a beer down to us. Man. Good good on you for the distribution network. Good <laughs> Lord on your distributor. Anyways, what are we talking about? So we're going to talk about uh, something suggested by Brackets. That's what you want to be called. That's what we're going to call you. That's fine. Brackets <laughs> suggests that what is the best bad book or book series you've enjoyed and why? Uh, 
A nice, vague question. Yeah. Thank you, Brackets. That's the way to do it. We love that shit. Yeah. So um, we're talking about books that we consider bad, but enjoy nonetheless. That's right. Or books, uh, or books I interpreted as books wildly considered as bad, but nonetheless that we enjoyed. Ah, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to start with my one. I, I know that you and I agree on one, so I'll kind of leave that one to the back end. Yeah. So, so I struggle with this. I'm going to be honest with you. I know that The Magicians is not well-liked, and I know specifically that it is not well-liked by many of our listeners, <laughs> and I want to honor that. I, I, in large portion, agree with you. Having said that, okay, there are moments... The group it, me is on fire right now. Yeah, yeah. No, I can't wait for this one. <laughs> the, amount, the amount of pro-smores propaganda I've received in the last couple of months has been mind-numbing. I can't imagine what is going to happen to me now, okay? But anyways, um, what I'll say is this. I read it. I got halfway through it and sat down, and I was reading it on a plane for a work trip, and I got halfway through it, and I closed it, and I said, do you really want to continue doing this to yourself? And I decided that I did, and then I bought the second one, because at the end of the first book, towards the end of the first book, I should say, there is what I found to be an oddly compelling scene with Alice, who is kind of becomes the female protagonist throughout the book. And uh, her relationship with Quentin and her relationship with the larger plot structure that I thought was terribly written, out of nowhere, and abrupt to the point of absurd. And yet I find myself to this day thinking about it as this like really wonderful moment that I can vividly picture in my mind. And it caused me to continue the series, even though I otherwise probably wouldn't have continued the series. So I suppose in the vein of answering the question, is it an awful book? widely regarded as not super popular amongst probably people who also enjoy listening to us do things. Uh, I didn't like much of it. I think that it is hackish. I think that it, it, it attempts to hide its hackishness by being openly hackish, and I don't think that's a good tactic. <laughs> <laughs> Having said all of that, there are moments in that book that I really enjoy. I have been halfway through the second one for like two months, so I can't quite tell myself I'm going to finish the second one. But there, I, I really fucking enjoy. Have you seen the, the, the show? I watched two episodes and then I stopped. Yeah, I yeah. watched the entire first season and I regret it. Right, <laughs> right. So yeah. I know. Look, I know I'm probably wrong here, and you know what, people, I fucking welcome your internet torching. Okay, All right. come at me, bros. You can hate read and, and it's gals. A thing. It's a thing you can do. You can hate read. Yeah, uh, yeah. And I don't, I don't even know that it was hate reading. There are genuine moments where I was like, no, this, I'm, I'm enjoying the fuck out of this book right now, and I am burning through it. There are also moments where I read it and I go, oh, my God, this is what my life has become. You know, I'm sitting on that plane thinking, just put it in the water, man. Like, <laughs> Just set it down. It's my only way out. Yeah. So anyways, The Magicians is mine. I know you have one, and then I know we have a joint one, so I'll let you jump in. So mine uh, might also ruffle some feathers. Yeah. The Dresden Files, mm -hmm. which I love unapologetically, mm -hmm. except for I'm going to apologize for it, and here's right now. Right. So here's the thing. Jim Butcher for... Let's be generous and call it six books. Didn't know how to write. It was just, oh my God. Let me tell you about this magical world. And then here's, let me establish this wizard who's going to kill all technology around him. And then let's have him make a Star Wars reference. And let's just gloss over how that's possible. Let's just gloss right over it and just move on. And then here's this bar he likes to go to. Let me copy and paste the paragraph from the last book about that bar. Yeah, you got it, right? All right. Control V, paste. Mm -hmm. Moving on to mm -hmm. the next part of the book. Just, there's some... There's some real 
real rough stuff there. But, but, that said, uh, the plot of Dresden, and uh, as a character, his sort of lovableness, and I think his lovableness goes beyond the fact that, like, oh, he said a Star Wars joke about Boba Fett, and I like that too, and blur. Um, I think it does go a bit beyond that. It sort of carries me, and what I do really like about it is you can sort of see him learning how to write as it goes on. And he will admit this oh, to himself I in like signings. Mm-hmm. And it's still not, like, fantastic, but it's much better than, like, the early books where it's just, like... What if one of the members of CSI was a wizard? Mm-hmm. Like um, I've literally read fan fiction better than it. Yeah, no, <laughs> it's book. it's rough. Like, it is real. And it wasn't even like highly acclaimed. Fan it fiction. is no, it is real rough. <laughs> but then there's also like these transcendent scenes, like where he fights the loop guru and yeah. loop guru and full moon, and like blows his ass out of a building. Then you're just like, if you're a gamer, especially an RPG gamer, it's like, holy shit. That was fucking great. That was entertaining as hell. He rolled a crit on his fucking attack, and it was really good, and, like, it really established a dynamic between characters, and then it goes back into more, like, chintzy, hackish... Uh, fanfic. Oh, shit. he's awkward around girls too. Oh my god, weird. Oh yeah. god, if you want the most awkward sex scene ever written, uh, look for the one sex scene in Dresden, and it is. <laughs> We're really silly. I've, I've not, only read the first book. I've not read any. There's of a lot of tempting, like, yeah. ooh. Dresden sexy might vampire. have sex with a Will white they, vampire who's the sexy type of vampire. Yeah. Um, I do respect, as a guy who chose, had the choice between fast zombies and slow zombies, who picked both, a guy who had the choice between a billion different types of vampires and said, fuck it, all of them, yeah. uh, and then just color coded them and moved on. Uh, and that's the thing. Like, I like the plot. I like the dynamics and the sort of political thing. And there's some good action scenes in there, but like, writing wise, Oh God, there's some there's some rough patches. Sure, and it gets better as it goes on, but it's still pretty rough. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I I love Dresden Files, even though as a guy who got a creative writing degree and you know had to read Carver and all that shit, I, I have to acknowledge that like oh swing and a miss a lot of the time. Sure. And then there's this book that both of us agree is horribly written, really bad, an abomination of English literature, as it were yet continues to be one of the best stories in terms of just full-on, can't-wait-to-hear-what-happens-next, completely immersive, in love with what is happening in, in the world, um, artifacts that stands above and, and over many other books. And that book is... Ready Player One. Ready Player One. And having said it aloud now, in the order we presented it, it occurs to me we might be both kind of suckers for world building. Yeah, absolutely. Not even necessarily plotting, but world building. Right. If you can do that and nothing else... As Ready Player One clearly does. That's the whole goal. Like, great world building, thin. Like, the end. Like, uh, and that is uh, enough to carry me through sometimes. I. Not Armada. Oh, well, I don't know. Um, So, I've picked it up. Uh, 15 times to buy, and I've never bought it because everything I've seen says Armada is a shitty reskin of Ready Player One. I've read the first couple chapters, and I'm like, God, this is awful. Right. And then I'm just like, how is it any more awful than Ready Player One? And then I'm like, I can't answer you that question, Caleb. Maybe there's a hole in our perception. (laughs) And it's like, yeah, all right. Yeah, there definitely is a blind spot here. Look, Ready Player One is full of, I would call them attempts at metaphor. Uh, They aren't really metaphor, but they're like 
someone said, I should probably write a metaphor here, and then Googled metaphor, and they're like, <laughs> oh, <clears throat> that's a metaphor. And then that becomes the thing. I mean, it is, uh, it is uh, base-level writing in, in terms of aesthetic quality or creativity. But, but I have to say, and, and there are other problems. I mean, I think that you know, the plot, you spend half the book um, trying to climb an insurmountable mountain, which is the first gate. And after one person climbs it, there's kind of a rush through the gate. And then gates two and three are just like bingo, bango. I mean, look, the plot is a little bit ridiculous in places, too. The characters lack depth. Um, the aha moments are not really so aha because they're so obvious and uncomfortably weird when introduced that they're not enjoyable. And another reason I kind of hate myself for liking the book is like the part of Dresden Files where he does like fan servicey shit, and it's like, oh, give me a fucking break. He's a goddamn wizard. He can control fire with his mind. Come on. Then you just give me that. But what if the fan service was every sentence? And I was like, yeah. That was what I wanted. I wanted all of it. Just all of it at once. What if the whole thing was was an homage and or reference to exactly what I'm saying? Mention Full House and Gary Gygax and Joust in the same paragraph, and I will just, woo, it's wonderful. I assume that Ernest Klein listens to this podcast. We're pretty popular. Hi, Ernest. Uh, And so, yeah, 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 come at me, boo. Um, So I imagine he's probably thinking right now, those idiots didn't get that everything I was doing was what they're saying I wasn't doing. That's all really possible, all right? And if true, I'm sorry. You can come sit with us and defend yourself. I think what's more likely is that you had a great idea. And you had the the will, the passion, the wherewithal to write a book, which is get it done in time. That's right. That's something I'll never like, be able you, to do. You had a time sensitive idea so, in terms of like the demographic. Right. I can read that size of print. Yeah, and God, we're quickly getting out of that range. God bless you on that. Uh, but I think the reality is more likely that it was like, yeah, it was like meh written book that was that happened to be fucking fascinating to me, and I loved every part of and it. And then the second book was like, what if the last Starfighter was an MRA, mm-hmm. and it weird wasn't as interesting as the constant nostalgia ray plugged into my brain. That's right. Yeah. So thanks so much for getting us to admit things that will make us unpopular. One, Brackets. Actually. Oh, producer oh, Ross yeah. is jumping oh. in. <laughs> um, Rises up from his deathbed. Yeah. Jeez. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and when you talk about world building. There's something popping in my head. This is actually uh, a trilogy of novels, but they've been collecting it on Omnibus. Uh, and this is the Eisenhorn trilogy from the Warhammer 40K setting. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, so Warhammer 40K is in the grim, dark future, there is only war. Uh, there's Imperium of Humanity. And uh, then there's Chaos. Uh, and aliens, and they're being threatened. And there's like... You're already overselling it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what Eisenhorn- if every heavy metal cover... Was, was real, but this yeah, is about basically this it. is about a detective. Uh, oh, <laughs> because because law enforcement yeah. matters. No, because, how do you find clues with pauldrons that big? You can't well, even. You don't even have peripheral vision. So Eisenhorn is an inquisitor, and he finds secret chaos conspiracies in the Imperium of Humankind and roots them out because chaos corrupts from within, and you know you can't have that. They're basically like the Sith, but you know you more can't him. have that. Yeah, you can't have that. So, and the great the thing is, he there's world building and world building because there's like dozens, thousands of planets in the setting so they just make up new ones oh we have to go to this death planet it's all jungle and it's very there's lots of monsters right but he doesn't just fight crime by himself he gets as an inquisitor he can just like point to anyone in the imperium and say you now work for me so he gets all the misfits throughout the galaxy you know all the bounty hunters and mercenaries and soldiers and psychics and they all work for him and they die in droves but they're all interesting characters you know uh, and uh, yeah it's crazy nonsense but there's tons and tons of world building mm-hmm. and are over the top uh, Gonzo 
uh, gothic grim darkness. And yeah. he fights chaos monsters with a sword made by tech priests of Mars. You know, Maybe this is why you're sick. <laughs> Maybe this is where the flu came from. Mm-hmm. It's karmically produced. It's a spiritual yeah. corruption. <laughs> yeah. All right, Caleb, get another beer, please. I will. Caleb, what are you drinking? Well, um, first off, fuck you. Yep. Uh, so it was Spencer's beer day, just like it was Spencer's whiskey day. And I should have known when he got the hot takes on ice, you know, fireball selection. You're welcome. That I was in trouble. But um, And I don't know if this is going to be good or not, but considering the only beer on this podcast that's ever almost made me want to throw up. Right was a Stillwater sake-infused extra dry. He's like, Stillwater? Let's buy that. So a Stillwater artisanal, uh, untraditional stout called Folklore. Oh, it's untraditional stout? I thought it was traditional it's an, stout. Uh, there's a clear prefix on there. Yep, yep. So uh, I ha- following our rule that we developed as I almost vomited on the microphone... Uh, I'm going to drink this on the mic for the There's first time. There's a trash can over there, by yep. the way. Yep. Well, that's what the pop filter's for. That's right. No. <laughs> nope. Oh, he looks intrigued. He doesn't look madder at me. It's a two. Oh, it's hey, a, all right. Yeah, it's a solid flip cup. That's a double of, uh, of the last one. Yeah. I can't actually tell it's a stout, but it's right. it's there Well, in they did mouth. say it was untraditional. Yeah. So, <laughs> for what it's worth. Yeah. <laughs> So untraditional, uh, you won't even notice. Oh, thank God for Flip Cup. Whew. Yeah. Never been happier for a two. All right. <laughs> I mean, it's really just a perspective you kind and of me thing. Both, if you dude. expect the pain to mm-hmm. come, you're mm-hmm. just kind of thrilled with it. Whew. That's rough. All right. So while Caleb uh, muscles his way through a Stillwater, we're on to beer three. And in this segment, we're doing Armchair Director, which is our movie segment. And we had a topic suggested to us by Ben W. and Angie H. So thanks to the both of you. Duo topic. Uh, about flops, the biggest movie flops, and why or why not we got them wrong, why maybe they weren't shouldn't have been so floppish in the first place. So we've, we've modified the question a little bit to fit our format. So Caleb and I are going to talk about our top three flops that shouldn't have been. And we did full-blown flops. Yep. Like, technically any movie that doesn't make back twice 2.5 its budget is a flop. Like, The Avengers was a loss leader flop, right. technically. Yeah. Uh, but... We did We're not full going, on lost yeah, the fucking farm. Yeah, lost fucking money. Uh, right. You know, Black Monday, jump out the fucking window. But the trick is, water like, world, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like lost the or fucking farm. from last year. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. But we also thought that maybe they shouldn't but have we also lost liked the fucking it. farm. Yeah. Like yeah. kind of enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. All right, so I'm going to get started here. Um, we're doing top three, so I'm going to start with my third. So my third on this one is R.I.P.D., and let me tell you, Ooh, our, yeah, that's a deep cut. It's a deep cut. So, <laughs> if I could film producer Ross's face right now. So, R.I.P.D. lost an estimated ninety-one to one hundred and fifteen million dollars. Arguably not enough. Well, okay, so <laughs> fair, fair. Look, there's a not a lot not to like about this movie, namely the movie. All right, but but. 
There are some real shining moments in here. All right. Ryan Reynolds. Look, it's functionally Ryan Reynolds without the Deadpool mask on. It is Ryan Reynolds being wry and awful and sarcastic, but also like a little bit prone to love something so deeply and dearly that he would go beyond his standard sarcastic shell. Uh, it is Jeff Bridges. Bridges? Jeff Bridges? Mm-hmm. Yeah, being um, old and crotchety. I will say this. It was a little bit of a departure for me. I think the movie that I'd seen Jeff Bridges in uh, most recently before our, our IPD was True Grit. Yeah, it's a hard... Pretty hard shift there. Hard basically shift. playing the same character, right? Well, but, yeah. Uh, but <laughs> but he, he got lost and wandered onto the wrong sound, sound stage, right. basically. Yeah. And also, like, maybe had some alcohol. Yeah, uh, some real method shit. He couldn't get out of character. They he had too much still water. Yeah, they yeah. just kept That's the, right. Yeah. That's right. So, yes, there are some... Jeff is better than that. Awful, awful moments. The CGI is offensive, given the year that it is released. <laughs> The story is ridiculous, and for some of you, it probably pulls from some source material that is near and dear to your heart because it's kind of an interesting backstory that never really gets played on all that much. Um, It's as if they took, like, MIB 2 and 3, which were both fairly bad, and said, what if we just replaced the leads with Ryan Reynolds and Jeff Bridges? We didn't really give a lot of credit to some of the backstory that exists in the source material, and then we just made a big-budget film with CGI. I get that. Having said that, I'm a little bit curious like as to what one would expect out of that source material and those people. I think that all things being equal, it is probably greater than the sum of some of its parts. And I've watched it more than twice when it's on in the background and not been totally offended. Certainly not, uh, you know, having lost $115 million offended. Look, I'm not going to go to bat for this thing. Yeah. But I'll, I'll bunt for it if I absolutely need to in a clutch. Yeah. What's third for you? Uh, I'm going to go with John Carter. See, now this is weird to me. Like, you guys looked at me like I was off the fucking rocker when I said our No, IPD. okay, you got to listen to my justification. All right. So I've seen a lot of CGI action-y shit that is as good or a little bit worse than John Carter. Um, and it didn't deserve to lose $122 million. $122 million. And here's the reason why. It's because a lot of its casting choices were bad were made because of budget cuts. And the reason no one went to go see it in the theaters at all were because of a crazy scare in the movie industry around the concept of Mars. So the original title and the title of the book series, which right. is quite good, is John Carter of Mars. Mm-hmm. Um, and But Mars Needs Moms right. was one of the biggest flops Ever. in human history. Right. Probably um, Martian history, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely in Martian history. Yeah. Um, and uh, as a result of that, what the people got from that was not that like people don't want Pixar-level animation geared at mothers. Right. They didn't understand that. They're just like, Mars is poison. Sell all our stocks in Mars. Uh Um, And so they made them take Mars out of it. They did rewrites to eliminate more Martian-level stuff. The basic... You could go look at some fucking trailers to this. The trailers are basically Adult Swim placards that just say, John Carter, movie date, Finn. Yes. And, like, I feel like that is bad. So, like, it's not great. It's not the, like treatment of the franchise i wanted to see i didn't want to see mcnulty from the wire play an evil martian prince for instance there were some rough choices Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but i've also seen transformers films wow which are abortive monstrosities of film Mm -hmm. that are 
like just above birth of a nation level racist at times and don't deserve to be the highest gracing movies in anywhere, especially not China and the US. And it's definitely better than that. It didn't lose it deserved to lose yeah. 122 million, but it did because the marketing machine got kicked out from under it. The Mars kidding machine nailed it. No. <laughs> uh, okay, so well. number number two for me. All right, debatable. We'll come back to it. Uh, number two for me. So this one kind of shocked me. I didn't realize this movie had lost that much money. Nor did I realize that at the time of production, this movie was the highest production cost comedy in the history of film. Is Evan Almighty? Like, look, this is not a great movie. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this is not. <clears throat> In theory, this is not one that, as your kids are growing up, it will become like stock footage in their childhood. But it is the follow-up to a film that is not so subtly based on the idea that Jim Carrey is granted the powers of God by Morgan Freeman, who plays like a painting and or an HVAC guy, uh, who gives Perhaps Jim a problem Carrey- of spending rather than of attendance. Well, it's certainly a problem of spending because they decided that like his major power is that he ought to be able to control animals as Noah of the Ark. And then that they should build a largely CGI Noah's Ark set piece into Washington, D.C. Okay? Look, not a great idea. Didn't he also have kids? Yeah, he had kids. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the like the two films of not, that's the two rules of filmmaking. Right. Don't do animals, don't do kids. You definitely don't do them both at the same a time. A couple kids. And also, Lauren Graham, I think, plays his wife. And it strikes me now that I think Lauren Graham is also an RIPD. Is that Lauren Graham that she plays the administrator at the uh, – am I getting well, – whatever. Um, look, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. It could be the other woman who I confuse for Lauren Graham all Spencer the time. Spencer just had a house of no, one of them isn't Lauren Graham. <laughs> one of them is the woman who's in Weeds uh, and I absolutely love. Mary Louise Parker? Yes. one of Mary Louise Parker is on RIPD. I think Lauren Graham is in Evan Almighty. Oh, I want to say Mary Louise Parker is better than that. And I confuse not. those two women generally and I know you're both probably listening and so I'm sorry. You know that you're both beautiful and I love you to death. Yes. Okay? So, you're among our – less than 200 patrons that's right that's right so i apologize in advance okay having said that here's what i'll say about evan almighty uh it doesn't make sense evan almighty so evan is a character in bruce almighty he's the douchebag reporter who bruce almighty like manipulates and probably ruins his career and yet that sets him on a path to washington dc which even only a couple of years ago seemed impossible that someone can be like a crucified media star and be elected to representative office but hey here we fucking are having said that it is like a totally reasonable throwaway comedy that is not worth having lost $88 million. It's Steve Carell, who I will generally watch do anything, in a setting that is absurd on Yeah, it's not like I lost $88 million of my time. That's right. Yeah. That's absolutely right. It's or like, even an equivalent dollar amount. No. That would add up to $88 million if everyone That's right. It. I wouldn't go see it at a theater, but I would happily watch it for free on TBS or HBO even, yeah. because it's not just TV, it's HBO. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but but I wouldn't, at the end of the film, go, oh, man, I'm so bummed that I wasted, like, 88 minutes or 90 minutes on that shit. I'd be like, nah, okay, it was fine. I've seen worse. $88 million in the hole? Nah, that's fucked up. You guys screwed up on production costs there, not on the movie. What's two for you? Mine's a category. You can take your pick. Yeah, this seems like cheating, but okay. It's not cheating. <laughs> All right, Mr. Let's Put a Greatest Hits album on our later top three. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to you cheating there. Um, so I'm going to talk about uh, Don Bluth or Don Bluth inspired late 90s, early 2000s cinematic releases. Uh, you could take Treasure Planet if you wanted to at an $85 million loss. You could take Titan AE at a $53 million loss, or you could take Osmosis Jones at a $63 million loss that also contain a Bill Murray. 
Oh, yeah. Was Atlantis uh, a loss, too? Oh, I don't think Atlantis was a loss, but it had the Disney machine behind it, so I'm not sure. Don Bluth. Uh, Yes, but but this Bluth or Bluth-inspired animation style where you're doing, like, actual animative work for a feature-length film, I think is an accident of economics, because I will watch any of those movies when they are on, and I will enjoy them. And they are well-made. They're well voice acted. Sure. Uh, the stories are solid. It's not like life changing. I don't have a poster on my wall of any of these films. Don't lie. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't think they deserve to lose that much money. But they lost that much money because of an economic force, and yeah, that's the ridic- fact that like I can fucking make a computer model do right. this shit. It's for ridiculous. Half the cost. Yeah. Um, and so it's an economic. It's an economic accident. Yeah. Like it's not an artistic fault. Right. Uh, and I can't say the same. Uh, I, I mean, that's basically what I have for John Carter as well. I think. It was largely an economic accident, but I think there was some fault in how they executed it. I don't think there's any fault in execution in any of those films. I think it's just the bad timing. Yeah. So no, that, I totally agree. Yeah. So number one on my list, and I was shocked to see that this movie had lost so much fucking money. I'm going to be honest. There are probably like five or six films that I have made people watch when they come to my house for periods of time. Like, for example, for a while, if you came into our house and you hadn't seen Taken, Brandy would make people watch Taken. Uh the vigor with which she approached Taken is similar. She really does. Yeah. It's so great. It's similar to the passion. It's like the passion like a, a normal like woman would have for showing you a cute cat video. But right. it's like, Liam Neeson totally fucks this guy up. Yeah. yeah. And she like sits you down and makes snacks. It's yeah. great. No, it, it's, a, it's a kind of a ritual, I guess, as it were. Anyways, so same, same kind of premise here. Like, I don't know that there are like, this would end up on top 10 favorite films for me. So to find out that it had lost so much fucking money, yeah, was pushed too far. Shocking. And the film is Hugo, and it lost an estimated 57 to 77 million dollars. So on the high end it lost almost 80 million dollars. And people didn't want Scorsese discovered steampunk. They didn't. Weird. <laughs> they didn't. For kids. Right. For kids. And yet, like, have you watched Hugo? I've gotten to the parts until Sasha Baron Cohen shows up and He's then I turn it He's fucking phenomenal. Mm-mm. No. I'd reach peak Sasha Baron Cohen at no. that point. You're you're absolutely wrong about this. My I, my needle was in the red on the Cohen meter. You are absolutely wrong about this. A couple of things. One, Hugo is beautiful. Two, the story is wonderful. God bless you, Brian Seltzer, because I know you're listening too. Okay, uh, and it's either the Adventures of Hugo Cabret or the Life of Hugo Cabret. I can't remember the name of the actual book, um, but and maybe it was like a time thing. I was smoking a bunch of weed at the time, so everything seemed interesting. That'll do it, right? Uh, I but, watched a Dale Earnhardt documentary once that was profound. Yes. Okay. Thank you, sir. Okay. Go back to your Don Bluth animation, Caleb. All right. Uh, I take Don Bluth over Hugo. I, <laughs> fuck you, producer Ross. Go back to coughing. I think Hugo is beautiful. I think Hugo is moving. There was a period of time where I thought Hugo might be my favorite movie. When I saw it pop up... I'm going to go back to coughing. Shit! When I saw it pop up on this flop list, I double-checked the list. I was like, are you sure that means loss when it's written in red? Oh, no, those are the rules? Okay. Wait! How did that fucking surprise you? No. He was like, I want to see the direct. You don't want to see the director of Taxi Driver do a magical boys romp through a steampunk train station. Like, that's fucking ridiculous. I'm sure Martin Scorsese is also listening. (laughs) So I want to applaud you, sir, for for this gift that you've given us. (laughs) 
Okay. And Asa Butterfield, you're a gem. You're an absolute fucking gem. And, and I believe it had a couple of other actors that you might have heard of. Check the cast list on IMDb. Um, I thought the whole I can't, thing. I'm crying. I thought the whole Caleb was literally crying right now. I thought the whole thing, top to bottom, was a fucking uh, gem. Two force. Yes. It, I'm surprised Scorsese. Truly Scorsese's I'm surprised he didn't. I I don't get why he won for The Departed. I don't get why he didn't win for Hugo. Is what I'm saying. Okay. Okay. So, anyways, on to your yes, Caleb. I see what you have listed here. Well, this is Conti- going to be continue to mock. Yours me, is going to be so. a reactionary right thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I didn't think Thirteenth Warrior was that bad. That's the best I can give it. Uh, it was much better than the book because the book is written like a dry historical text, as if it was actually written by a guy in thing and it's really not great even for Crichton it's not great so I thought it was better for the not better than the novel um and uh there's some good action scenes in there there's some badass Vikings in there there's some there's some cool sword like shit going on and it's not like sword and sorcery no one does magic it's just like Gruff dudes with swords killing other gruff dudes with swords, and it's a serviceable action. <laughs> and cave point. monsters, yeah, it, yeah. Well, cannibalistic cave okay. monsters, yeah. Like they're proto-human, so like I didn't think it deserved to lose fucking ninety-eight million dollars. Is what I'm saying. Like now, I'm not gonna lie. Casting Antonio Banderas as an Arab, <laughs> a questionable choice to say the least. Problematic. This just staring. I'm seething. He's, he's seething right now. Your, your rousing defense of the 13th Warrior has really offset my, I think Hugo is Oscar level good. Well, you could try and reframe it that way, but, right. you know, good luck. Um, so, yeah, I didn't think it was that bad. Well, I want to apologize to both Martin Scorsese and Ben W. and Angie H. Because Caleb has clearly ruined your list. While I have given you some real gold to deal with on your free time. Hit us up in the comments. Yeah. I yeah. look forward yeah, to being Yeah, hit us up in the comments. Favorite moments in a Don Bluth movie. Right. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you. Favorite moments in Hugo. Is it when the machine works perfectly? Is that it? Because I shit. I, I shit just you shut Just cut him off. I fucking Mr. cried. Ross. I cried Pull so hard. Pull the plug. I'm getting a beer. Pull the plug. Spence, what are you drinking? All right. Oh, my. This is a new one. So this is the Prairie Weiss by Prairie Artisan Ales. It's a sour wheat beer. Oh, my God. That was quite delicious. Ooh, really? Quite, yeah, hold on. Uh-huh. He's going back for the second tag. Yeah. I want to make sure I have this right. Good God. Maybe it's because I'm in a mood for sours, but this is on the high end of a quarters, four. This is in the Not right Not quite set. a beer pong, though. In the right setting. This might be a beer pong for me. Yeah. Ooh, wow. This is a delicious beer. Good on you, Prairie Artisan Ales. And might I also say, you have really wonderful art. So, brewed is from, a, that is a tasteful label. It is brewed in Oklahoma. There's some sneaky good distilleries in Oklahoma. I think it's the opposition. I think it's like brewing, like brewing, like with the world against That's you. True. Just make some good shit, That's like right. anthem. It's like a challenge. Yeah, right? yeah. How do I stand out? In, yeah. in a literal state of misery. Yeah, That's right. Uh, what are we with, talking like, about? Oppressive alcohol, right? So, uh, we are going to talk about why this is episode nine point two. Yeah, this is Com Corner, which this, was a listener suggestion. 
So um, we debated a long time to add episode nine to the point where I even added episode nine to the show notes of things we were going to talk about. Yeah, because we've already recorded a previous episode nine. Yes. And we might cut it up and use certain segments later. Like, definitely not the whole thing, though. And here's the thing. We didn't lose it. I didn't trip and fall and, like, pour a Mountain Dew Code Red over the computer or anything. No, you didn't because I'm the editor. I would be the one. Right. Yeah. That. Yeah. Right. And, and I, we, I, hey, don't pretend I can't pour Mountain Dew Code Red over your computer. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's not a dare you want to take, sir. Um, All right. So, so uh, there, there's that. But we're talking about... Um, we thought it may be worth a segment because I feel bad because you know we're taking suggestions that we didn't get to <coughs> for that reason. But we need to talk about something about self censoring in podcasting because yeah. we talked a little bit about performance anxiety, right. and I think it's a little bit related to that previous episode. But self censoring, what is your theoretical or rhetorical responsibility uh, do you have to your listener when you can curate? The shit you're talking about at the bar. Right. When it's not just the literal shit you're talking about at the bar, when it's not a performative act, yeah. as in like the theater of having a bar conversation, and I've recorded in it, and it's mechanically reproduced, and I can cut and mess with it however I want. Like, what kind of responsibility do I have to that? Because I just didn't feel like the episode had it. I, I don't think it did either. So l- let's talk for just a minute about why not original episode nine. Let's let's remove the shroud of mystery here a little bit. So we recorded episode nine. We went home. Uh, and then immediately, well, maybe not immediately, but certainly within the next couple of days, started talking about episode nine feeling a little bit different. Um, I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was. The, I think it was multiple factors. I think it was a lot of things. Yeah, it was. Just, I think I was exhausted. Yeah, it was. We contact. like jammed it into a big week. We did. There was a lot going on. I think we took on some great listener questions, but we took them on back to back to back, and I think that we they, took them on in a bad order. Yeah, at a, in a bad order, which may have kind of produced some melancholy on our ends. All, all that I know is that I left episode nine thinking that was kind of depressing. And our goal is never to be depressing. This is supposed to be kind of like the fun, energizing, weird shit you get into with friends while you're sitting around drinking a beer or not drinking a beer. And that found felt like the conversation that you get into with your friends like towards the end of all of it. And uh, and I didn't love that. I'm going to wrap around here. Here's what I love about your obsession with pop music. Yeah. Yeah. And when you will go to a touch tunes and almost get our asses kicked for throwing a Bieber song almost. on like 11 o'clock at night. Yeah. Here's why it's almost worth it every time. Because you're reaching a point of the night where it could go either way. Right. Like maybe it's been a rough week of work. That's why you're out drinking. Yeah. And it can turn into a bitch, fee- bitch fest about that rough week of work. And, you know, when we're doing a podcast where we will talk about like sort of like big academic ideas or political things or right. things about that, it can it can turn into that. Right. You will throw on like a fucking Bieber track with a Chuck Mangione trumpet riff. Yeah. And like just the ludicrousness of that. Yeah. Is gonna just elevate the night, and they're like, "We're gonna keep it loosey goosey. That's right. We're gonna get what we need out of the night, right. rather than letting the night succumb yeah. to the week we've had." And that's the thing that happened in episode nine. We succumb to the week we'd had. Yeah, I don't think that's a word. And but, you uh, know what? Love yourself. Succumb. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm not great <laughs> with the beer. You're an English yeah. teacher now. Yeah. Right. Blame the fireball. Yeah. I'm not an English teacher now. Yeah, that's fair. Performative, performative identity. Right. Yeah. I'm not teaching you shit about English now. If the comma goes wherever you feel like it, put it where you pause. That's right. Uh-huh. Um, so there you go. Uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, that's the rule. Don't worry about it. Um, so the question for us became, and we had a lengthy discussion about this. Don't think this was like kind of a haphazard ad hoc thing. We had a lengthy discussion. To what do we owe you as people who, many of you who pay for this, which is phenomenal, and I still can't figure out. 
Um, but even if you don't pay for this, you you give of your time and your energy for these things, and we appreciate that. What do we owe you and what do we owe ourselves? And because we have the ability to reproduce things, to take a couple stabs at stuff, to make sure that we like it too, should we put something out uh, that we're not proud of, happy with? And and I kind of finally landed on the side of like, no. That, that episode didn't make me feel good, and if it didn't make me feel good, I imagine it wouldn't make you feel good or make anybody listening feel good. And so we decided that at a minimum – one of our responsibilities to you is to uh, hopefully bring – well, let, let me put this in kind of like a larger context. The reason this whole thing exists is because Caleb and I have uh, in some form or another over the last 13 years with a little gap in there been getting together and getting drunk and talking about stuff that is interesting to us. Mm-hmm. And that's energizing. Yeah. that We do that on the weekends and on Friday evenings and evenings we can cram in the middle of the week for fun because it reminds me of what it's like to not look at Twitter all day and be reminded of how shitty things are or think about the fact that, you know, I had to work a lot one week or get bogged down in any of the random things that could be depressing. This but also is- sometimes we just play Destiny and you're like, how was your week? Shitty. Yeah. How was yours? Yep. Yep. Shoot, 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 shoot. Kill stuff for two All right, hours. that was great, man. Yeah. All right, bye. Really good. And like, it'd be like listening to our Discord chat on that. And that you're not paying for that. No. It's right. not worth your money to pay for that. Yep. Yeah. But, but all of this is because this is what we enjoy doing. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to see if it was enjoyable to other people. And we've talked to a lot of friends who we still keep in touch with from college. We, we talked to a lot of current friends who say things like the reason they enjoy this whole thing is because it feels like sitting down with friends and talking about shit that you talk about at the bar or over a game. But you don't enjoy every conversation you have at the bar. That's right. But so, you're also not paying for that. At right. least not the people you're in conversation with. That's right. So we want to make sure that we, if we have a bar conversation, we want to be one of the ones that you enjoy right so there's going to be some melancholy stuff we have certainly um scraped the barrels of happiness probably a few times uh there are certainly some conversations we've had that are probably looking down a loaded barrel in some ways and to be clear serious isn't bad no but there is like an element of pacing into it yeah absolutely. And if it gets too heavy Right, we we can't go that way because it doesn't need to be entertaining. And we got we got heavy on heavy on heavy. And we might also talk like advice for suggesting future subtopics or ask mix six. Right, like this might also be that. Yeah. Uh, so one thing I will say that I do want to acknowledge that the people had very good conversations. We were just fucked up putting them in a certain order. So let's lightning round this. So uh, things we talked about in episode nine. That we should maybe go a little bit faster on and not get sad sack about. Right. Uh, Raymond from Insert Quest here asks, how do you create, grow, and maintain an online community? Don't put out a podcast where you're like sobbing by the end of it. That's, right. That's a bad idea. Yeah. It's not great. It's it's pretty depressing. That's you don't right. want that. Yeah. Uh, constant marketing. Interact with people. Uh, find people who have similar interests to you and then ask them to also share this with other people. Then also maybe don't be depressing as fuck all the time. Right. Yeah. Um, Sky DeBover asked, uh, what's the difference between uh, sports fandom and nerd fandom and i think we came up to no definitive answer absolutely we talked for like 15 minutes and just landed on nothing right um you're irrationally obsessed with something because it's people in jerseys or not people in jerseys and because of that thing you pay attention to it people like things for reasons and reasons are subjective and subjectivity is subjective and 
what get another beer that was it but right. it was like 15 minutes longer yeah so we really nailed that you really we really condensed it yeah. uh and then the last one was from zach from sd he asked what's the modern public educator's role in the legal ethical moral development of students and i'll let you know that i get depressed about my job sometimes and around beer six is when that can happen yeah. and boy howdy did it so we're not gonna report that right one. if you think those two previous beers were ripe for going off the rails the third one was a full-on uh, it, it was a Dostoevsky attempt yes. at, at describing uh, education I realized in something was wrong with episode 9, version 1, midway through episodes, like, segment 6, and I just couldn't stop it. I was the, it had too much momentum. I just couldn't push back hard enough. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to be bummed out. That's not why you paid us money. Nope. Um, so this is your segment. I apologize for condensing you like that, but at the same time... Uh, you're going to have to take my word for it. And there's some case of trust in the rhetorical of listening to Absolutely, broadcast. Yeah, and you need to take my trust right. for it. They're like, it wasn't a great episode. It wasn't we can a do great better. Episode. We're doing better right now. We are. Uh, we've done better in episode 10. Right. We're going to continue to do better. But that's why we made a choice. I jumped the gun a little bit posting that as our episode 9 content. And I think we should also stop listing our episode Well, numbers. just consider this. So, so <laughs> you know, this is a com corner segment. So two rele- relevant notes here. So one is consider this an apologia. This is our attempt, a mea culpa, if you will, at there's some stuff posted on the website for episode 9 that will come down. Uh, that's not episode 9 anymore. We knew, so here's some perspective by incongruity for you then, Kenneth Burke, uh, rhetorical philosopher of the 20th century, um, greatest rhetorical philosopher of the 20th century. Um, we were on the fence but didn't feel great about episode 9 when we recorded it. Then we recorded episode 10, and we were like, that was fucking awesome. That felt great. And when one episode feels so starkly in contrast to another by way of being lighthearted, fun, and and enthusing. It was the point where I was like, episode nine, maybe we're losing it. Yeah. Maybe this was a mistake. Yes. Fuck. It's all coming apart at the same time. And then we had episode 10 and was like, oh, no, it's fucked up. Right. Let's just not put that one out there. Right. Let's just not fuck so up. So we, we're <laughs> saying all this because we want you to know that we do feel – um, responsibility to you to put out a product that we're happy with too. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we don't want to do is we don't want this just to become ranting, just like melancholy ranting about things. And for some reason, time, place, universe, existence, alignment of the moon, beer, questions that we responded to, episode nine felt off. And so it felt like it really violated something near and dear to this whole experiment. And so we're redoing it. We're hitting the reset button. Um, and, and we apologize for any confusion we, confusion we may have caused, but know that all of that confusion uh, we're trying to address now and move on from because it's not something we ever want to do. Yeah. Uh, so having said that, it's time for new beers, new topics, and we're back on track. Indeed. What are you drinking? I just want to say this is a big ask of a guy with a speech impediment. Mm-hmm. So uh, I am drinking Schnickelfritz. Nailed it. Look, I did it. Um, Except for the syllabus at the end. But mm-hmm. It's fine. No, no. I talk with a lith broth, <laughs> and I had to have years of therapy for that. So it's Schnickelfritz. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Close your teeth for the S. Uh, so... Um, with uh, Bavarian-style Weiss beer ale. Mm-hmm. 
Urban Chestnut with their enormous beers. Massive beers. Thank you. Really making the podcast Out of great. St. Louis Mo. Uh, let me taste it. And while Caleb's tasting it, I will describe his face. It is beardy, and he looks uh, medium. Plump. Plump. Well, you said it, not Red. me. Yeah. Um, it's pretty good. It's a solid three. Oh. It's a solid... Uh, what is the three? Circle of Death. Circle of Death. Look, Urban Chestnut... This is your third or fourth on the podcast yeah. at this point. Yeah. All your beers taste the same to me, but all of them are solid threes. That's reasonable. Like, I, I, you might just be slapping different labels on shit, mm-hmm. but it's unobjectionable, and I can't feel bad about it. So you just fucking keep doing it, Consider dude. that a free commercial. It tastes like chestnut. Unobjectionable. That ain't bad. Right. I'm into it. So, yeah, it's a three. What are we talking about? All right. So, this is Beer 5. This is Jukebox in the Back. We're back to music. It's been a little while since we did a music segment, from what I remember. All right. So, this one, i got to be honest, totally me. Uh, I was just sitting around thinking about interesting conversations Sometimes the muse strikes. It does. And in this case, the muse-ick struck. All right? Because it's a music segment. A little drunk. A lot of puns. (laughs) So today we're going to talk about top three go-bag albums. So it's the end of the world. you got a disaster prepper bag in the basement that you're just waiting to use, but you can only fit three albums in that bag. And a hand-cranked Victrola. That's right. So wait, so, with the, the so vinyl only is what you're saying? Well, you know, take it how you want. Maybe you've got a really, maybe it's like a clutch and you can only fit three CDs maybe in there. Maybe there's a band you're going to support in your autonomous right. community. Right. The premise here, folks, all right, look, I was going to say Desert Island Jams because, you, you know, you got no electricity like on there either. Central premise, but I wanted uh, to. Solar backpacks. You know. Right. I wanted to keep Back this the solar panels in Caleb's wheelhouse. I thought it would be weird to not like come up with an end of the world scenario. Yeah, where, you're right. Yeah, you can I'm only listen to a couple of albums. So by extension here, only these are the only three albums you'll ever get to listen to again. Yeah. What are those three albums? All right. So I wanted you to think really critically about what are the three things that oh, you I'd, want to I'd carry I've done, done it. So I'm ready you, you were ready to roll. So jump in there. What's number three for you? Led Zeppelin 2. Look at you. Going. It's a beat. Yeah, it's more upbeat. I, I would go for more upbeat. I would go for or maybe Houses of the Holy, but that's going to get some long form shit. Yeah, I don't need to be thinking about that much during the end of the world. Right, Led Zeppelin two. You got some immigrant song on there. You've got some next level. I've got some good memories associated with that. So Tom Hudson, friend of the podcast. Yeah, um, great was, friend of the prod- podcast, an excellent drinker. But yeah, and brought a shit ton of beer that we're going to have to try very soon. Right. Uh, also, one of which will have to be a PBR. But he really insisted on it for, and I'm okay with that. He brought a PBR. He insists that I try a PBR on the podcast. You know, a lot of people have and, reg- and regardless of our fucking uh, rating system, it's going to read error. Right. Um, right. So uh, anyway, uh, great guy. I have a ton of great um, associations with Led Zeppelin too. Tom turned me on to Led Zeppelin in the first place. Well, look at that. There was a drum machine that's like kind of like a proto Guitar Hero, but yeah. was a full drum set that required an insane amount of skill at Six Flags over St. Louis. And uh, he and I spent a number of days hustling bitches in that arcade to be like, wow. I bet my friend can beat you. And then Tom would like fuck up a corn song. And then like be like, all right, I want to go into that. And we'd be like, all right. Immigrants are, and he would fucking destroy it, and we actually made some money on that, and wow. it was fucking great. Um, so, a lot of good memories associated with it. High energy, 
fantastic fucking musicianship. Yeah. Great, great album. I need that on my desert island or my apocalyptic wasteland. Right. And your go bag. Uh, yeah, got to keep my energy up. So that's one of them. Not unreasonable. I struggled with the third one here. The cutoff between four and three was a lot harder than three to one. Yeah. So... What what struck me originally is to say Deja and Tandu by Brand New, which I absolutely adore from top to bottom. What I landed on though, I think that's probably four. So if I couldn't if I couldn't get it in, I couldn't get it in, and by my own rules, I couldn't. What's three for me then is Blue, the Blue album by Weezer. Um, I love Weezer for a period of time. Like everyone loves Weezer for a period of time. Uh, for a while, if you don't love the Blue album, I don't love you. That's right. That's how yeah. I feel about that. No, that yeah. Let's just. Get it on the table. For a while, I was trying to be trendy, and I told people, I was like, well, I can't really decide between the Blue Album and Pinkerton, but then as an adult, I listened to both of them. I was like, oh, no, I can decide. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely Blue Album. The Blue Album Pinkerton is not bad. Objectively but better than Blue Pinkerton. Album. That's right. Um, you know, I don't know if it was a, a, a time and a place in which the Blue Album was introduced to me. It was very much a high school thing. It's something I'd never heard before. Um, I don't know if because I can look at the Blue Album as stacked up against what is the large swath of the rest of Weezer canon at this point and say, oh, look, they were capable of greatness. <laughs> but I'll say this. There are just some fucking gems on the Blue Album. Uh, say It Ain't So has got to be like one of the three or four it's greatest like It's anthems. front to back. Yeah, it almost is, right? Yeah, like it's it's one hit after The another. world has turned and left me here. I mean, the sweat... There, there, it, Weezer Blue is just hit after hit after hit after hit. And um, if you were seven, you know, if you were between 15 and 20 and you really didn't know how to fucking do this whole life thing and you were trying to be a little bit different, Weezer Blue gave you some direction. The most singable album maybe ever. Absolutely. In true. terms of range. Like maybe you know a lot of Journey fucking songs. Right. But like I could stop a bar fight with a blue album. That's right. Song. That's right. Like if I did the whole blue album, we'd be best friends forever That's by it. the end of the night. That's yeah. it. it would be a bonding experience. No, it's solid. Absolutely true. No, it's a, you rebuild society from your go bag with the blue album. That's absolutely yep. Yeah. Yep. I would bring I would play it loudly from whatever radio station I could find and attract people to my zombie free tower with the blue album. Yeah, no, like I saw you you did your list on the Google Doc before me, and right. I saw that you put that, and I'm like, "Fuck you for putting that before me, right. and fuck you for not putting it one." Yep. Well, yeah. So there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're uh, we're gonna have a harder take on that, but okay. I can't object to that. Reasonable. What's, t- what's number two for you? Um, it's a new pick, and it's really new. Uh, Autolux, specifically the newest album, "Pussy's Dead." Not a great name. Not 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 a not, not a remarkable even a good name. name. But like. Um, I can listen to that album and do anything. I can listen to that album and read. The, the the lyrics are not intrusive enough that they intersect with that. I can listen to the album and write, and I do for most of the Unknown Army stuff I'm working on, and right. it's fucking fits perfectly to it. Uh, I can listen to that album and drive and just feel like pensive and meditative for it. I can listen to that album to kind of get psyched up because it really starts off with some bangers. And I, I, I just, it's just one of the more adaptable albums I've seen since I can't pick the Blue Album. Right. Because you already picked it. Admittedly, I've not listened to it, but I've added it to my list of things to do. You should. It, they're a very good band. Right. Uh, they're an excellent band. They're highly produced, but it sounds like something could, they could do live. Uh, I'm very much a fan of it. Uh, it's got a wonderful album cover. Um, yeah, I'm really into it. And totally like, fair. And I'm into it to the point where like it's one of those albums that's been like in my 
it's not been in my car CD drive because those aren't the, the right. thing because anymore. Because 2017. But it's been um, like I'm going to listen to music instead of podcasts on my hour plus drive to work. Right. That's the one that goes to the top of the list. And it has for like a year now. Wow. So that's okay. pretty impressive. So two for me. So I figure, look, it's the end of the world. You you really need some uplifting. You need shit to make you feel good. Uh, you got to have some energy. You know I'm an unabashed pop fan. And frankly, I just love this woman. So number two for me is Lungs by Florence and the Machine. I don't know if there is a better voice in the history of humans than 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 Florence Welch of Florence and the Machine. I've seen her live, like, I don't know, too many times to talk about. My mom's doctor in St. Louis. Sorry if you're listening. You are, obviously. Mom and Florence Welch. Man, our Patreon list is just growing. F- yeah, it's, yeah, it's like a... F- Fucking it's Hollywood a who's who. Boulevard. That's right. Like, stars a, on the fucking sidewalk. Right. It's a who's who. Yeah. Um, from start to finish, it is interesting. I find the songs to be uh, variously different in their uh, approach to music and feel and tone and pacing. Uh, I think her voice is exceptional at uh, low tones and slow and at higher, kind of like more rich tones and quickly. I think it really encompasses a, vra- a broad array of music. I cannot listen to lungs enough it is one of the few albums i actually own digitally and on cd and on vinyl it's one of the few vinyls i've ever purchased because i wanted to know what her voice sounded like on vinyl exclusively i have an infatuation with florence and the machine lungs nice what's number one for you so this probably isn't a big surprise for people that know me or know that i like Autolux's album, the first song of which is main chorus, is There's Something So Sad About Being Happy All the Time. Uh, but Radiohead's Kid A, there is not a song on that album, nor an action I can be performing while that song plays, that doesn't feel somehow prophetic and cinematic. Like, I feel like everything I do, whether it's like cleaning my fucking house to everything in the right place, or pretty much anything on that album... Everything feel like it has a deeper meaning. Maybe I don't see that deeper meaning yet, but everything feels like it has some sort of unseen depth. Sure. And I feel like if I'm in my go bag and we're in the apocalypse, I'm gonna need to. I'm gonna need everything in his right place as I make a shelter. Some direction. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna need to feel as if I am uh, some sort of iconic hero. Right. And uh, Kid A, I, I might not be a happy iconic hero, and. I, I, Let's be honest. I'm definitely not one, right? For most of Radiohead's oeuvre, but um, I'm I'm totally into it. If I if I'm having a bad day, I listen to right. Kid A, and it changes it around. Even though that seems weird, yep. Considering the end of the lyrics, well, yeah, but yeah, I'm no. a big, I'm a huge Radiohead fan. I'm so psyched to go see them in a couple of weeks. Gonna go to Kansas City and see oh, that. Oh shit, son! Again, Tom Hudson, right? Killing it for the podcast. He's, He's it, just yeah. oh yeah. Not a big Radiohead guy, but get this one. But I get this one. So my number one, which I'm getting the feelings a little bit controversial for you, because to be clear, in the rules when I sent out the show notes in advance, I I even noted you can include greatest hits. Well, you can be wrong about rules like you can be wrong about albums. Yeah, but you also had some time in advance to take issue with the rules rather than the selection. I Mm -hmm. see that you've you've chosen not that path, but instead the other path. I was busy. Right. Yeah. I didn't have time to get into a debate with you. Right. You're good at debate. Yes. So I'm not great at picking albums. I look forward to this. Okay, I'm not. I'm not doing this with you. Um, so, a, a number of years ago, there was enough Queen material so as to create a universally accepted 
set of Queen Greatest Hits, Volume 1, I have no objection two, to this. And I believe Volume 3. Yeah, I have no objection to a Greatest Hits in general. So I have chosen Queen Greatest Hits, Volume 2. Okay, a, a Greatest Hits is not an album. An album is a sequential Kulshoff effect, if you will, in the audio form of which one song being before or after another is part of the artistic statement. Yeah. A Greatest Hits is a Greatest Hits. Right. It is not an album. No, disagree. It is a unit that is sold to you in terms of one physical medium or one doubt. Right, as an album. Okay, no. Yeah. So here's what, here's where I get off the boat. Queen's fantastic. I love it. I'm glad you picked yet, Queen something, none of it was on but I disagree with our choice of album. Like, okay. The nomenclature of album is where I get up to. So, semantically, <laughs> I, I find your distinction troubling, because what you've told me is that there is to be some sort of arc built around the narrative structure of the term album. And yes, a greatest hits. Tom, that's how Tommy operates. Yeah, yeah it's and, it's a rock opera. Yeah, and yet I noticed you can't do the the climax at the beginning. I noticed I noticed that all of the examples you continue to point to as prototype prototypical albums are not on your top three albums list. So I would like for you to stop using those specific <laughs> examples. Instead, what I would like to suggest is that a greatest hits album. Is this to, is to say that of all of the narrative arc which is to, available to you of this artist, these songs, when strewn together, are the greatest of that narrative arc. So the narrative here is success. It is excess. <laughs> so, so your greatest hits is not so much a novel, as, which would be the literary form I equate an album to. It's a biography and that I want to see the highlights of Freddie Mercury's life or mm. Freddie Mercury's main artistic progress life? I don't know so much about that because I also think, I mean, look. It I, seems like a sort of nonfiction curational take on the concept of music. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know that that's an unreasonable assessment of the term album. I mean, look. There, and I just want to be clear. I'm not against, I'm not against greatest hits. Like, if I'm going to listen to Springsteen, I'm listening to a greatest hits collection because if I'm listening to individual albums, I'm overwhelmed. It's just a wash of the E Street's right. four-hour live tracks. Right. I, I just right. can't do Get it. it, America. And I, yeah. I need a fucking curator to that museum to show me to the finest pieces. That's right. But I, I, I just, it's not an album. So here, here's my distinction. It's not like in an age of digital music, what I could have said was it is these 11 Queen songs that I've handpicked. Okay? <laughs> okay. Yeah. But rather what I've done is I have gone with a widely accepted and distributed arc called Queen Greatest Hits Volume 2, which is an accepted part of musical canon at this point to avoid the random, well, what you've done is you've highly cured, you have highly curated choice here. And, and in doing so, have violated the nature of album altogether. I disagree with that. I, I will agree to disagree on your terms, but <laughs> I will accept that your heart is in nothing but the right place. Here's what I know. So talk about why you love Queen so much. Here's what I know. If you and I are hunkered down somewhere, just praying to God we can find like an uneaten corn of cob <laughs> so that we might exist through the night, and I pull a fucking Sony Walkman and Queen's Greatest Hits 2 out of a bag... You're going to shit yourself with joy. So I've solved a problem here, Caleb. All right? And that's what I'm also looking Also dysentery. Yeah. Well, yeah. Also that. <laughs> so you know, I, I thought of three uh, while you guys were well, talking. Well, get in there. Okay. 
Uh, number three would be Prodigy Fat of the Land for fighting. <laughs> Love it. <Yeah. laughs> so you're going full Raider. Yeah. <laughs> you're getting the Mohawk and the fucking high school shoulder well, pads. That, that's for fighting. And you're going after it. All right. All you right. Need, that's need fair. different soundtracks for different things. Uh, number two would be Requiem for a Dream soundtrack for dealing with the ramifications of a post-apocalyptic of sudden Jesus. spike in yeah. the infant mortality rate. Yeah. yeah. You need, you need help with rec- that, Ross? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, number one would be DJ Shadow Private Press for relaxing. Yeah. My God! Oh shit! I fucking love that album. Yeah, you? that's a good pick. I saw him live. Private Press yeah. is really good. Yeah, I I'd tell- go with introducing. I that's like my Private DJ Press pick. Over. Uh, what, uh, the remix is kind of sullied Private Press for me. Introducing was where it was at, but yeah, you guys have never sounded more like stereotypes. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, we need to cut the segment off. It's getting it's, it's getting dark. Listen, if you've been with us this long, it means that you've at least listened to the free version. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Uh if you have not signed up on Patreon yet, please feel free to do that. You can find us on patreon.com slash the mix six. Uh, and what that allows you to do is get the additional beer that we're about to get into, where Caleb and I will talk about something infinitely more deep than we already have. Uh, and if you're with us for the full ride through our next beer and Hot Takes on Ice, which is our new offering that you've probably already heard two of by now, thank you so much. Other than that, we really appreciate you. Don't forget to find us on Twitter at The Mix 6 or Facebook.com slash The Mix 6. And if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. We really appreciate that love, and we want to get this into more hands and more people. We also have a mini cast because we really like drinking. So maybe yeah. hit us up at the $6 level for Hot Takes on Ice, where we do a more topical subject. Plus all of short our content. 20 minute. Yeah, yeah. Plus, plus additional. You're not, you're not missing out. It's not an either or. It's an all or nothing. Don't yeah. forget this, people. If we get to $1,000 a month, and we are creeping up that way on Patreon, and God bless all of you for doing that, we're going to do a full third episode a month. Would probably include some additional hot takes content. And then we're moving on to fucking like hard alcohol episodes after that level. My liver's like Atlas holding up the world at this point. <laughs> this is how it all ends. And I really am. That's not like a bad thing. No. I'm aiming for that. That's right. Hold, so. Holding the world up. That's yeah. right. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you on the flip side.